the, the difficult part of teaching life skills through games is trying to get people to not realize that they're learning that. So things that are developed educationally are kind of like hitting somebody with a figurative hammer. You are listening to In Your Element. Where we uncover stories, thoughts, and ideas dedicated to helping you find your own element. Let's dive right in. I hope you enjoy the show. My guest today is Vanessa Haddad, graduating with a PhD from the University of Buffalo in 2016, focusing on the sociology of education and issues around media, gaming, and gender. Vanessa is also currently a professor at SUNY Erie, department chair of general studies, and focuses on teaching about games and popular culture on the classroom in order to make difficult topics more accessible. So, Vanessa, welcome to the show. How are we doing? Well, thank you. Doing well this morning, um, but I imagine where you are, it's a little bit later. So, <laughs> not not too late. It's actually around um, kind of mid afternoon here. But strangely enough, there's actually still sun outside. If you've ever been to London, you know that around this time it usually gets pretty dark. But I guess that's because now we're probably coming into springtime, um, so we have a little bit more sunlight. Um, so that's at least one, one nice thing. What about you? Where are you based? I'm located in Buffalo, New York, which is, um, far away from New York city. Really. It's, it's about the furthest away you could probably get in the state. We're much closer to Toronto and Niagara Falls than we are, uh, New York city. So. Oh, wow. That's interesting. You know, <laughs> something that comes to mind is that a couple of weeks ago I was looking at different, um, different programs, different universities in, in that area. I was entertaining an interest in pursuing a master's, but that's a completely different story. Um, and I thought, you know, um, oh, Cornell would be an awesome place to, to, to study. It's, you know, in, in New York. And then, you know, it hadn't hit me until quite late that the, the you know, Ithaca is actually quite far away from New York City. <laughs> and then I kind of realized, well, New York is actually a massive place. Oh, my goodness. Um, <laughs> this kind of goes to show that my ge- my geography could do with a bit more, um, a bit more brushing up, I guess. So, Well, Ithaca is a really wonderful place. If you went there, um, I, I'm sure you would enjoy the time that you spent there, especially just for a couple of years. It's, it's a really unique culture and area. It's, it's a wonderful uh, place to study. That sounds awesome. So Vanessa, um, you do something which is really cool. So, you know, rather than myself trying to explain it, I would just um, ask, why don't you give an insight into what it is that you do and what brought you to this field? Well, so what I do is I teach and research in general about video games and how they impact people and life, and especially in an educational context. I did go through a PhD program in the sociology of education, um, which has been renamed to educational culture, policy, and society. Um, But sociological topics in education often tend to be really, how do I put it, Uh, kind of like, I I guess for lack of a better word, negative, in that a lot of the problems that are examined, well, of course, they're negative because they're problems. Um, Looking at differences in uh, educational quality 
based on socioeconomic status, for example, and um, what happens to people as they move through a system. And as much as I love those topics and I think they're really important, education has hit a big problem where we have much more problem identification than we do solutions. And one of the things that I stumbled across in my time uh, as a student and as a professional is this idea of how can we use technology to improve lives and what can we do to make learning a little bit easier and more digestible? What stories um, can be taken away from video games or skills can be taken away from video games that can enhance experiences of students? And so I started to think, well, we can identify problems, but there's plenty of people that already do that. Um, so what could we you know, start to think about doing for those problems and, and uh, how could we start to remedy in more creative ways? So that was kind of the, the more broad aspect of, of what got me into that area. It was sort of accidental to a degree, but a happy accident. That sounds really interesting. And something I'm curious about is that interest that you have, where did it stem from in particular? Like, are you a gamer? Did you kind of put that together with, oh, I want to actually pursue this in an academic context or like, go tell me more about how that happened. Yeah, so I, I definitely am a gamer. And I, I grew up playing video games. It was a way for me to spend time uh, with my family and uh, especially vying for the attention of my older brother. You know, oh, if, if I do this, maybe he won't like kick me out of, of the living room or his room or whatever. And, and we can spend time together. And then I thought, oh, geez, this is actually really fun. And over time, um, I, I started to realize that video games were a nice place of refuge. I, I loved reading. I loved film and television and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, things that people generally like. But video games brought an extra dimension to uh, popular culture experiences that were very, um, I guess you could say, flow-inducing. They put you in a state of mindfulness where you can um, really just sort of be present and uh, you're consuming a narrative, you're probably problem solving in most cases, um, but you're also immersed in something that puts you in a place where you can really be there and be present. And so that is an optimal state for learning um, that, you know, doing traditional lecture and, and all of that sort of stuff, like what I do sometimes, uh, not, not all the time, but sometimes, <laughs> Is, is a place that you can only dream to be to get all of your students engaged in a, a state of flow. It's like, you know, games can accomplish uh, and technology can accomplish sometimes what human interaction on a basic level sometimes just can't. Um, but yeah, so I am a gamer. I love games. And um, that transition from saying, um, this is something I enjoy to, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, this is something that matters, uh, was, was an interesting one. I, I came across lots of scholarly literature um, that indicated that, no, this is a real thing. My first reaction to it was, well, this is kind of uh, corny, maybe, or maybe that's not quite the right word, but like superfluous or uh, just not really worthy of study. That was my first initial reaction to all of it. Um, I was at a conference where we brought 
uh, my university hosted a conference where we brought in librarians and tech people from McGill University, and they were talking about exactly this stuff. And my first reaction was, no, I, this is this is ridiculous. And then over time, I'm like, no, actually, it's not. It's really important. <laughs> so I kind of jumped around a bit, but that's that's a really really fascinating story and you know your your last comment about how you kind of found this superfluous and, and whatnot i think it's it's interesting the you know the stigma that there might be around you know pursuing something like this in an academic context when it's such a prevalent part of pop culture and you know um the experience of so many you know young individuals like growing up like gaming for me was such a big part of my childhood growing up i made so many memories and, you know, it's hard to even try to quantify the impact that that has had on the way that I think, you know, my, my learning and, um, there's, you know, to, to the extent where it's probably played a much larger role in my development than traditional media in a lot of ways, especially throughout my, my high school experience. You know, I'd, I'd go to school, I'd, you know, hang out with friends, do work and then go home. And the first thing I do is like, you know, jump on League of Legends, play some games with friends. Like, um, I wasn't spending too much time consuming traditional media, but yet I think there's probably, um, a lot more attention placed on those kinds of media when it comes to studying their effects and whatnot. So I think that's really curious. Um, so something I'd love to I'd love to get into is over your time, you know, studying in in this field and and doing research. And I know this is something that you touched upon in in your dissertation that you that you published in in 2016. I was taking a brief look and there were some really interesting things that you highlighted there. And in particular, I'd love to get your input on what were some of the findings that you uncovered? And I know you mentioned some around, um, you know, how games could help uh, cultivate bonding and intellectual stimulation and whatnot. But I'd love to get your perspective on some of those findings. And if those have maybe changed, um, if you've kind of uncovered new findings in your time since. So in general, um, really what my dissertation found, uh, just to kind of give some background on it, was um, I, I essentially I had done a qualitative piece or a qualitative study about how video games impact specifically male students um, in their day-to-day lives and how I got to male students was a complete accident. I meant to do male versus female, but I learned the hard way that language uh, is very meaningful when you're recruiting people for academic work to, to talk to them and have them participate. Uh, I use the word gamer very specifically to recruit people. And I learned the hard way that uh, women didn't identify with that term nearly as strongly as males, um, uh, men did, right? So it became a study about men uh, or male students. And so uh, just something I was kind of just like to put out there that, um, but actually there is something to that because one of the things that um, has evolved since I've done that work is that masculinity um, has become something that I've been focusing on quite a bit um, in my academic work. I'm doing a project with uh, some colleagues out of Texas Christian University about um, gender performance and masculinity performance through Twitch streaming. And so what is the hidden curriculum of what masculinity looks like in the video game streaming world, which was not prevalent uh, nearly as much when I was writing. I mean, back then it was people like PewDiePie were were very prominent uh, at that time. So it was a long time ago. 
<clears throat> but in any case, to sort of get back to the findings of the dissertation, um, looking at how people connect together and, and bond through gaming is a really important thing to consider because one of the biggest issues that people have, especially in early adulthood, is finding a, a sense of community and bringing people together. And what's so special about gaming is if you put people together, um, either physically in a room or virtually, the conversation that flows as a result of other people being engaged in the same activity can be really special. I've had some of the most meaningful conversations um, in, in my life while playing the most uh, sometimes even rote games. You know, you just you get into this state of focus and then suddenly the conversation flows and, and it's, it's really awesome. Uh, my participants had similar sentiments around that. So it was a way for them to bond. Um, sometimes it was alienating though, because if they fell into communities that were maybe sort of elitist or exclusive, that maybe uh, it wasn't the right fit for them. And sometimes that was based a lot around like genre and um, other identifiers. Like if you're more into like anime, that could be kind of a thing or like Magic the Gathering and people who are into like League of Legends and Overwatch and that kind of thing. Um, there's, there's different communities. And so they, they, they tend to start splicing out more specifically. So sometimes it's a good general um, way to bond, but sometimes it can also go the other way as well. Uh, so there's that piece to it, but probably the most significant thing was that how the, the ways that narrative could impact um, understanding yourself and identity. So that was something that came up repeatedly that uh, experiences through gaming that students had that I spoke with um, led them to believe or understand something more about themselves that had they not interacted with that media or the narrative of that uh, game, they may not have realized. So it could be things about um, maybe their emotional state, um, how they deal with a problem, Maybe um, it could be issues around avoidance or even sexuality came up a few times. Um, one student I had realized that he was bisexual through playing uh, a game, through playing Gone Home. And it, like, it, it crystallized that for him. Um, and so, so that the thinking that goes along with the narrative interaction is a really big deal. Um, so what I call for as a result of, you know, and, and there's more to it, but those are kind of like the basic things. Um, what I call for is the idea of formalized spaces like colleges and universities to start thinking about or to start implementing um, gaming in formalized spaces outside of dorm rooms or in formalized clubs or, or formalized clubs rather to bring people together. And I'm seeing more of that, um, mainly through esports. So it's sort of like this double-edged thing because it's competitive, it's, it, it is sort of bonding, but it, it is still very exclusive. Uh, but also too, to consider how can we use games to um, have students develop in ways outside of academics? Um, how can we start destigmatizing using this media as, as a very useful tool versus um, thinking, oh, this is something that takes away from academics and takes away from uh, focus and it makes people 
bad students and gets them addicted and all this kind of stuff. So that's kind of the general need of it. But Wow. There's so many interesting topics that you, that you went off of there and, and that I'd love to actually dive into. One of the things that you mentioned is that gaming can be a great way to help induce the state of, of flow. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a, you know, it's it's a particular challenge to help motivate and, and stimulate uh, children and, and, you know, uh, students in, in classrooms because we tend to spend the majority of our day in such a high uh, state of stimulation to then go into this place where all of a sudden that level of stimulation drops because we're going from these screens with all of these colors and these bits of information flying at us to, you know, all of a sudden, like, okay, we've got someone who's like speaking at us. We've got like a textbook in front of us. Like it's no, it's no surprise that, you know, um, it's harder to engage with students um, when they do make that transition to kind of a lower level of, of stimulation. So I'd love your thoughts on how you have thought about how games could help um, in the classroom with that, um, with that stimulation and, and cultivating a greater sense of flow. Yeah. So it's, it's something that um, I like to start off sometimes with an analog exercise where I ask students to like, I, so for example, in uh, one of the courses that I do at SUNY Erie, it's like a first year seminar course where uh, basically we talk a lot about these topics specifically, like how do you focus? How do you study in a way that's effective for you? This kind of stuff. So that's one of the big courses that I do there. And I started uh, implementing a game design project within the class where about midway through the semester, I asked them to build an analog game of some kinds to try to teach other people about, well, how would you teach people things that you've learned in this class or in college in general that, you know, how would you do that in a fun uh, and meaningful way? And so that gets them to pause because that's kind of the building blocks of design thinking. So all of a sudden they have something they can focus on together as a group um, that forces them to really iron out, okay, what have I taken away from this that's meaningful? And how would I talk to other people about that? So the the basic elements of design thinking, I think are the most fundamental piece of of thinking about gaming um, as an educational enhancer. So I start off with with something like that. And then I also introduce different games into the classroom. Um, One of my favorite exercises, uh, there's a couple that I like to use, but sometimes I bring in others as well. Um, There's, I'm not sure if you're familiar with this, but there's a game called Unfair Mario. That's just like a browser game that I would use a lot um, around uh, teamwork and critical thinking as a way to start the class off. So, um, when talking about those ideas, I, I would surprise them. I wouldn't really give them much um, introduction around what was going to happen. But I would say, okay, we're going to take turns playing this as a class, and you can all help each other get through this. Um, and it was really fun. You know, 15, 20 minutes of, of that, everybody's in a good mood. They're engaged, they're shouting things out, they're developing plans to work together. And then once you get them in that state, they're very open-minded to to listening more because it's that the state sticks with them. So 
starting off in that way where it's collaborative and uh, and there's this element of problem solving to work on something together uh, really puts this, the group into such a great mood. Um, I, I'm not sure. Do you know what Un- Unfair Mario is? No, it sounds really fun, though. <laughs> it's, it's basically, I mean, there's lots of iterations of it out there, but it, it's basically this game where everything is just wrong. It, kind of like a lie so like what you would expect by playing a traditional platformer game um spikes will pop out in places they shouldn't floors aren't real that kind of thing and and it's very frustrating so even like my students who are like oh i'm i'm a big you know i'm really good at games i'll do really well at this no problem and then all of a sudden they've died 30 times and they're on the verge of, of rage quit and uh it's it's pretty you know so i mean there, there's that element of frustration but then the public the public aspect of it makes them want to perform better so that's kind of a, a, an interesting thing to watch um i also use a game uh called spent which is pretty popular um it's it's about um surviving day-to-day financially um, and making decisions that in the United States can mean the difference between life and death. What kind of health insurance do you have? Um, where do you live? Um, how much do you spend on groceries? That kind of thing. Um, it's a it, it's an interesting conversation starter because the students who understand it firsthand, if they feel comfortable talking about it, can create for a really powerful bonding experience. Um, and then also just an introduction to understanding those difficult issues sociologically for students who may be um, insulated from from those topics. I mean, there's there's more, but that's just kind of like a you know sort of a general idea of sort of some of the things that I do with that particular group. Um, yeah, thank you for sharing. I think there's mm-hmm. some really interesting topics that you that you touched on there, and particularly one of the things that you mentioned towards towards the end was. Uh, some of the games that you found that help teach, uh, you know, teach people sort of life skills around managing finances and whatnot. And something that came to mind that was, I really liked playing RuneScape growing up, but it wasn't anything in particular about, you know, I think a lot of people just like the idea of hacking at like trees all day and seeing, (laughs) seeing them level up their woodcutting ability. But for me, what was really interesting was um, I loved being able to, interact with the in-game economy that to me was fascinating and it's one of those games that had such a well-developed in-game economy where to the point i think you know this was probably towards the end of my obsession with runescape but they actually you know had website where you could check the value of certain assets and commodities over time and it started getting really sophisticated and complex but you know looking back at that i think that almost um, that helped to cultivate my interest in in sort of um, in in stocks and investing. I guess now really, um, and I think it's 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 games like that that I imagine have a very similar effect for a lot of other people. So I'm curious if you've come across other games that have also this similar um, this similar effect of of teaching life skills that may not otherwise be so obvious. Hmm. I have to think about that for a split second. Um. Because one thing that comes to mind is um, there are some games where I can imagine you get a lot out of 
you know, they can teach you life skills, but also, as you mentioned, things that help you uncover elements about about yourself. But I can also imagine there are other games that probably don't do that. Like, I don't imagine I'll have many major epiphanies while playing Cookie Clicker. But I mean, who knows? <laughs> um, well, actually, you know, with with the with the casual stuff, like the, the those kind of like rote puzzly, you know, by you know, more like. I don't want to say mindless exactly, but there's not a lot of complexity to them. It's sort of like the concept of you have your best thoughts in the shower where you're just, you're not really doing much. So sometimes it can be useful in that sense, like to kind of clear your head for thinking. So if you engage with like a, a casual game for about 15, 20 minutes, put yourself in that little flow state where you kind of clear your head, it can do wonders for your mood and your, your clarity. Um, but I see your point too. Um, you know, I guess the the difficult part of teaching life skills through games is trying to get people to not realize that they're learning that. So things that are developed educationally are kind of like hitting somebody with a figurative hammer, where it's like, here's the message. This is going to be you know, you're, you're going to learn this thing and we're going to try to make it fun by making it into a game. You know, sometimes educational games really fall short in that context because it's, you know, sometimes it's much more about a bait and switch than it is about an actual message. So like what you, you're describing that you personally experienced, I, uh, I hear, um, I've heard from my students over the years, for example, that with games like Assassin's Creed, I can't tell you how many times I've heard an iteration of the, the idea that they've learned more about history through Assassin's Creed games than they have in a in a classroom, which which is one thing that's, that's kind of interesting. While it's not quite a life skill, it is an important thing um, that, in general, I, I think, I, I don't know what the... British perception of this is or the English perception or in the UK. Um, but here there's, there's a very strong lack of historical understanding. Um, and that is a, a systemic issue in American education in general. Now, of course, anybody can pick up a history book or, or read about whatever topic that interests them, but getting them to that point to motivate them to do that is, is not, um, not easy uh, to hear. And, and, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So something like, uh, you know, a, a video game that teaches about history that engages people in those topics is really important. Um, in terms of the economy piece, I, if I were to think about something a little bit older, I think Diablo 3 had a pretty big impact on people in that way. Um, I know loot boxes have unfortunately taught people about things like gambling um the hard way which is not great um but an unfortunate thing that can happen and that people do need to pay attention to there's obvious examples like the stock market game um that give you fake funds to invest however you see fit and hopefully you do proper research to do that well um there's so then there's also a genre called serious games, which are a little bit more heavy handed, kind of like what I described before. The most ideal scenario is to kind of trick people into not realizing they're learning something, right? But sometimes there's a place for uh, serious games 
which just basically has the implication that they're meant to teach people about something. Um, so that genre, I can think of a company or a few um, people out there who are very much trying to teach people um, about various life skills and topics. There's a company in New York, I think called Cognito with a K, and they design games for difficult conversations around health and how to have them, for example. Um, that, that's one of the big things they do. There's Mola Industria. Um, I, I, I never know how to pronounce his name and I should know this. Paolo Petrucini, I think. He's a designer out of Carnegie Mellon University. Um, are you familiar with his work? No, I haven't. I haven't. Oh my gosh, he makes the most interesting... I'm not even sure how to describe his work, but very, like... I mean, he made a video game about cell phone production a number of years ago about, like, mining the minerals and the materials using child slave labor while there's, like, guns pointed at them and then um the production of them at the factory in china where people were jumping into nuts and your goal is to prevent people from jumping out of the building <laughs> like huh. it's really he makes a lot of really dark and interesting games so the shock maybe maybe that's kind of his his thing is he um he likes to use shock to get you to stop and think so mm. he makes a lot of really interesting stuff um I don't know. That's, I kind of jumped around a bit, but those are just some ideas um, to kind of get into that learning piece for um, the world around us and, and also life skills. So, Yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned was this idea of, um, you know, games perhaps highlighting aspects of our, our personality that aren't necessarily, aren't necessarily so desirable. And you, you brought up this example of loot boxes that can, you know, people can struggle with, with, you know, gambling tendencies through loot boxes. And we've seen a lot of issues crop up over the years with, um, things like gambling on CSGO with like, um, with knives and, and, and whatnot. And there are a bunch of other examples that I'm sure, um, you know, um, occur across other games as well. But something that came to mind was, is it in some cases perhaps better for, you know, people who are still growing and, and developing to encounter, you know, these issues within these games before they may manifest in the real world, so to speak, where there may be some more, you know, protective rails or, do you think that there should be more of a concerted effort to try and just remove, you know, and, and protect people from these um, these issues within games? Oh, that's tricky. I could, I, I there's there's validity to both sides of that argument. Um, in terms of exposing people to um, those kinds of issues in, in games, especially younger people, I, I think. Preparation for difficult life issues is never necessarily a bad thing. However, um, having the expectation that they'll make good decisions around that while they're young without maybe grabbing their parents' credit card or, or something like that or their bank info is, is another issue. Um, I almost It almost makes me think about having a simulation for that specific scenario that's not like... In, in you know endangering to uh 
to a child and their and their family potentially. Um, I don't know. It's, it's it's always a tricky balance. How much do you expose people to um, that may not be um, easy to deal with? Mm. It's a it's a really great question that with that particular issue, I could really see validity to both sides of saying, well, you should protect people from these issues. They're young. They can't make good decisions yet. They don't have their faculties quite yet versus, well, this is also preparation for difficult issues that they may face later. There's, there's weight in both areas, I think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, it was just a, a thought that, that, that occurred to me that, you know, for some of these issues, like if I if I had a friend who may have struggled with like gambling, then I'm just thinking if they were perhaps, you know, um, exposed to that in, in game somehow and they could have identified, oh, this may be a problem for me later on. At least they could have had that con- kind of safety net within, you know, the game where if things got too bad, you know, sometimes you can sort of reach out to like customer support and say, hey, I may have gone a bit too crazy here. Can you help me out? Um, and there are some like there are protection mechanisms in place, whereas there may not be those same protection mechanisms if we do the same thing out in the real world. But it's really interesting to get your 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 take on that. Um, so, mm-hmm. Vanessa, one of the things I would love to get your insight on are some of the games that have had a major impact on you and why you think they've done so. Oh, geez. Um well, certainly, the, probably the biggest one in my adult life would be Civilization. Um, I've played, oh gosh, probably over 800 hours of, of Civilization Five specifically. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I, have you played it? You know, I, I very, very briefly, um, I was gifted Civilization Four, and I have a lot of friends who friends who play Civ Five, but I never quite got into. I never quite got into it. I tried it, but I don't think it was for me. It's um, there's definitely some things about the game that I wish would have been improved upon that I don't necessarily think they did a better job with in Six. So even though I have it, I've never made the jump over. Um, it's just. It's not for me at all. Uh, But one of the things that I really enjoyed exploring in that game was this idea of why does war happen? Um, Or or at least according to the people who designed the game, right? Um, This idea of, well, if I decide to declare war on a neighboring empire, is this a good idea for everybody? Financially, does this make sense to do it? And are my motivations what are my motivations for doing so? Like, you know, I, I tend to play uh, Carthage when I play the game, mainly just because, um, I mean, Carthage is a Phoenician empire. I'm half Lebanese. And while I don't necessarily identify with the Phoenician conversation um, that is prominent in Lebanese culture, I love the idea of a female leader, uh, Dido, uh, heading up an ancient, really awesome and impactful civilization. So I'm like, oh, I, I can play that character. That's cool. Um, so if I'm if my neighboring empire is is Rome, right, then we, we have an issue because actually the game is programmed that way <laughs> uh, to, uh, you know, there's historically, there's aggressive uh, behavior amongst the AI with, with certain uh, leaders. It's, it's clever on their part, I suppose. But 
am I going in because I already know I'm not supposed to like Rome or do I want their resources and the land or did they start being aggressive with me? You know, what happened? And so thinking about the experience of global affairs to a degree, just on a very small, very rote kind of um, low level scale really helped me sort of understand um, larger historical events, just, just going through the mechanics of those decisions um, better. So that's, that's been really cool. Um, unfortunately, because it is such a complex game, the idea of ever bringing it into a classroom is just not, not really all that feasible. Um, so that's, that's been a big one. Tomb Raider was big for me. Um, when I was growing up, my brother had it. So I played it and his friends played it because they're like, oh, Lara is whatever. You know, she's, we have this pretty like protagonist who runs around and, you know, she's, it, it, it was unusual um, at the time. And so they were playing it and I'm like, oh, this is really fun. You're shooting a, a Tyrannosaurus Rex with a shotgun. Like, I want to do that, like in traveling around everywhere. And then as I got to know Lara as a character, um, I, I like there's the critique of her character as being this hypersexualized, horrible representation of women. And, and, and all, you know, there's a lot of negative conversation around the character. But growing up playing that character for a number of years, I, I just saw a really strong and interesting and educated person who... I think at the time that I was playing one and two, her character was 34 years old. And while running around stealing artifacts, this isn't necessarily great, you know. Um, I just saw a really interesting person doing what she wanted. And there were there weren't other comparable role models at that time. Um so, but of course, there's always the conversation around um symbolic masculinity in women and is that you know a good or a bad thing and who knows but that is one that comes up as a common critique uh, for that so i don't i'm sure there's more but those are definitely two of the biggest ones um and of course the sands and sim city you know creating these worlds that um you have total control over and uh kind of see how things play out one of the interesting things I learned playing SimCity 4 was a game is structured for trickle-down economics to be the most successful economic pattern in the game. So anytime I'd give tax breaks to the upper class and, and I think the upper middle class, uh, and they would stay and make the economy thrive, and then I would tax uh, the lower income people a lot to try to drive them out. And I don't I'm not, it's a simulation. I'm not saying I believe in that or I think that's okay. I think it's terrible. But that the designers made those decisions, you know, it was was really interesting. I, I wasn't sure. It was something I always wanted to ask that, that group about. Like, why did you program it this way? You know, I don't know. I, I would love to know about that. But mm, I think that's 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 awesome. And so really, um, so really fun games that are kind of bringing me back uh, as well. Um, I, I didn't quite get into um, like Sims and SimCity when I was when I was younger, but um, I I had other other similar games where 
I've I've thought, you know, why did why did the devs, you know, why did the devs choose to do it this way? And in the same way that you've got like a story or a movie or or a book, you kind of want to ask the authors like, why did you why did you decide to do it this way? Um, and I think that's that's really interesting. And you know, one of the things that I I would love to get your your insight on is we've gone over you know, how games can be used to help people learn more about themselves and learn more about life in general and how they can be used to help engage um, students in the classroom. And something I know that you're quite um, passionate about is also using games to help communicate difficult topics. And I'm curious what some of those difficult topics might be and how you've used games to help um, communicate them. Right. Um, well, there's, gosh, there's so many, but one, the one that immediately comes to mind is um, the topic of labor alienation, which is an increasingly prevalent problem. As we have more options to become basically whatever we want to become, I think a lot of people undergo analysis paralysis uh, in, in the sense that they're like, I have so many choices, but because I have so many choices, I don't know what I'm doing. And what can happen, um, at least in the US, what I see commonly with the students that I work with is they're in my classroom. They don't know what they're trying to do, but they know that they have to do something. And they're already, I think, not everybody, I'm, I'm, I'm generalizing, but um, kind of feeling alienated and possibly disconnected from education because in the formal setting and in the formal sense, it engages, you know, one kind of way of working, one, you know, and, and very few types of ways of thinking. And what's considered textbook intelligent on paper isn't, you know, it doesn't account for neurodiversity and the ways that people really are in life. So certain people really excel in that environment, but a lot of people don't. And there's no tools or language to deal with that. Um, so I, I some, if I were to, I, I wouldn't necessarily do this as like a first year class, but um, th there's a few games that I like to bring into the, the mix when talking about the issue of labor alienation, which is just sort of a, a fancy term of saying you feel disconnected from what you're doing. And when you don't have ownership of what you produce, you're like dissociated in your quality of life and, and meaning go down. Um, and that's the universal thing that, that people experience regardless of what they do is if you don't feel ownership and connection to what you're making or doing, you're going to face consequences um, emotionally and psychologically, unfortunately, because work is a big part of our lives. Um, so having those the ability to make those decisions coupled with the potential for consequences is a very tough conversation. So there's a game that I really uh, like to use that's it's very simple mechanics um, called Every Day the Same Dream that it is kind of uh, a dicey game to probably use in a formal classroom setting. So I, I have assigned it and I put a trigger warning with it. I say like, if, you know, this is something that you're not comfortable engaging with for an assignment, there's no penalty to you. And I don't need to know why just 
you don't want to do it, you don't want to do it. That's fine. But for those that do, um, it really, I found that it gets them to pause and to think about what can happen if they are not connected to what they do. Have you seen um, Groundhog Day? No, I haven't. It's on my list though. <laughs> oh my gosh. I've had so many recommendations for Groundhog Day, but I haven't. I mean, I, I saw that movie when I was really young, so I've always found it kind of boring, which I guess is kind of the point uh, to a degree, but uh, <laughs> it's just this idea of reliving the same day over and over again. Um, but th- this game is kind of like that. It's it, I, I swear whoever designed the Stanley Parable must have been inspired to a degree by every day the same dream. It, there's, there's definitely some commonalities. I, I, I don't know. That's an assumption of mine. I haven't asked or looked into it really, um, but there's there's shades of, of similarity. So it's it's basically you play this character who wakes up, gets ready for work, takes the elevator down to the parking garage, sits in traffic, gets yelled at by his boss, sits at the cubicle. Day two starts, you know, and so the purpose of the game is to find small things that are meaningful throughout the game. Um, and there are shades of, uh, well, I mean, it's an extreme example, but there is like suicide is part of the game as like an activity, unfortunately, um, which is, you know, and, and that's why I say it's a dicey thing to use um, because that could be very triggering for people. But also, I, and I certainly would never want to drive the message home that, hey, if you don't take control of what you do and engage with it well in a way that works for you, that could happen. I, that's not exactly my message. It's, it's very, um, it's a very dramatic point. It's hyperbolic. It's not meant to be like the takeaway. It's just more like when you play the game, it's in grayscale. The music is kind of droll and repetitive. Um, it's much more about the mood and the feeling of being in the game, the connection to work than it is about like, a message, so to speak. So it reproduces that feeling of labor alienation uh, while playing the game. So done well, I think it can really get people to pause and think. Um, but yeah, th- that's, there's another one too. Oh, Passage. Do you know Passage? Um, no, I haven't heard a- Passage. Oh my gosh, okay. I'm feeling embarrassed because you're coming to, to realize just how out of touch I am with games and pop culture these days. <laughs> no, 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 this is, no, don't, no, no, look, it, 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 it's an indie game that is from like, I think 2007. It's really, hmm. it's kind of obscure. Uh, don't, there's, there's, there's games that I've, that I don't know anything about that a lot of people have played that, you know, someone says to me like, oh, have you played Maple Story? I'm like, no, I've let I have no idea. Um, so you're fine. Uh, it's a it's a quick game where you go through life um, kind of like from start to finish and the character just has different experiences along the way and it kind of like induces like a very existential feeling in the player, which is what makes it so interesting. So I've, I've, I brought that in to, uh, I was teaching a philosophy of, um, rhetoric and communication course I, I brought that game in um around um oh geez the name is slipping my mind yeah it's gonna drive me crazy if i don't look it up really quick 
Kierke, uh, Kierkegaard. Hmm. Yeah, it was, I was talking about Kierkegaard, and I so I brought that game up. Um, so yeah, it was a while since I thought about that particular person. So my my brain just went. <laughs> awesome, and you know, I um this this every day the same dream. That actually sounds very interesting. I think I'm gonna check that out after after recording this because. Something that comes to mind as well is, and I know this may not be, you know, the way that you were intending to use that game, but um, I, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of people are feeling like we're kind of living in a dream right now, right? We're living the same thing like over and over again. We're not having that much stimulation from doing different things. A lot of people are kind of waking up in the same room, in the same house, doing the same thing every day. And um, I think if, if, if games like that can help us to find like the novelty in what might seem like a very monotonous everyday thing, then I think that's quite a valuable lesson to learn as well. Um, and that's just got me quite, quite curious and I'd, I'd love to check that out. Um, so, so yeah, well, Vanessa, it's been a really fascinating conversation with you. Um, thank you so much for taking the time to, to come on the show. I'm conscious that we're kind of coming up to the top of the hour, but before we leave the, the listeners, um, if you had one message that you could put up on a billboard to all game developers, or at least those that make some of your favorite games, what would it be and why? Oh, what a question. Uh... I think I would probably say something along the lines of quality and happiness first uh, in the design experience uh, over um, engagement for revenue, which is like a, a pipe dream. But the idea of providing a really quality, immersive experience that brings positivity to the world would, would be my my billboard as opposed to developers. I think that's that's beautiful. I definitely second that. Um, so so thank you so much, Vanessa. If um, if someone's interested in learning more about what you do or perhaps getting in touch, where can they find you? Oh yeah, so they could definitely find me on Twitter. Um, my handle is uh, Vanessa L Haddad. Uh, I'm there. I'm on LinkedIn, and uh, yeah. So th- those are the two two major areas that I can be found awesome well thank you so much Vanessa once again I think it's been a really interesting conversation there's so much that I've learned about the topic and I think a lot that the listeners are going to take away from so thank you so much once again and everyone thank you for sharing your attention and sharing your cup of coffee with us this morning Um, and I hope you have a fantastic rest of your day thank you for listening to the show In Your Element is proudly brought to you by a single dude from his London apartment. This show does not have social media. I'm not going to ask that you leave a rating or a follow. Instead, I'd love to see you coming back just because you're seeking something different, are genuinely curious, and are looking for ways to really find and live in your element, just as I am. As always, keep being you. Keep crushing life and keep finding your element. I'll see you in the next one.